He's risen. He is indeed. Uh, we celebrate this morning the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was dead in the tomb, yet he was raised to life, to giving us hope even beyond the grave. I just want to think about what a contrast this morning is as opposed to the, the day of his death. And two days ago, it was uh, Friday night, we had a good Friday service here at the church, and we, we thought about the, the death of Jesus, and we considered his very last words, in fact, his dying breath. In his dying breath, he said, it is finished, and after saying these things, Jesus then bowed his head and gave up his spirit And uh, we looked on Friday night about how there is hope in those words, but there's also gloom. Uh, On the one hand, Jesus communicated that his life was over. It was it was finished and it it was done. Um, Immediately after he said this, he died. And in some regards, his earthly ministry was done, as he said, it is finished. And yet the meaning of those words went far beyond just the fact that he had died uh, it is finished as reference to the entirety of his, his earthly ministry and of everything that he accomplished. It says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and that's indeed what Jesus did. He came and he sought those who were lost by being a friend of sinners and extending himself to all who are poor in spirit. And he saved the lost by dying on the cross for their sins. When Jesus said his finished, that's one of the things he meant. He said not just his life is finished, but also his earthly ministry is finished. But, but, but further, right, it's finished means that his redemption was accomplished. When Jesus died upon the cross, it is our debt that was fully paid. Our sins, Colossians 2 verse 14, were nailed to the cross. And by faith now we come to God through Jesus, forgiven through his blood. We're no longer condemned Jesus has turned away the wrath of God that was meant for us. But that's not all that he finished. Jesus also abolished the sacrifices by becoming himself the ultimate sacrifice. He terminated the priesthood by becoming the highest of priests. He fulfilled the law of Moses. He he rendered the temple useless. And all this was done. Jesus died upon the cross. It is finished, is what he said. But, but that doesn't mean that the work of Jesus was all finished. In some regards, really, it was, was just beginning. I mean, you, you think about it, after his death and resurrection, he appeared to his disciples and told them and, and instructed them of what it is they, they should do. They should remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and gives them power. They should be witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And having then talked to his disciples, he, he ascended up to heaven. He took his seat at the right hand of God and he began building. He began building his church that we've been looking at in the book of Acts this past year. And, and he began uh, really on the day of Pentecost when, when he gave the spirit to the church. And thousands then grew in the, the church in Jerusalem. And, and then because of persecution, it spread throughout the world. And Jesus continues his building work today. He builds his church all across the globe. So far from being finished with his work, in some regards, when Jesus said that upon the cross, he was just beginning. In fact, even now, right, he he always lives to make intercession for us, is what Jesus does. He's always praying for us. 
And the resurrection of Christ, which we celebrate this morning, this resurrection morning, was in many ways just, just the beginning, just the start. The work on the cross was done for sure, but redemption began, but the resurrection rather, begins the application of the work of redemption. When Jesus rose from the dead, that began working out what his redemption means, applying it to us. The title of my message this morning is simply this. It is the beginning. And I just wanted to contrast from that, that message from Friday night. Friday night, it is finished. And yet, Sunday morning, it is the beginning. Or you might say, it is just the beginning. Or it is beginning, whatever you want to say it like that. It is, it's the beginning. For a text this morning, I want to, us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on, open them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, my focus, really the, the seed of my... My sermon, my message this morning is in verse 20, but we got to read the whole chapter in order to get up there because it starts with a but, and that is one of those blessed buts of Scripture that is in contrast to with all that, that came before. Paul begins this way, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, I'm by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. You know, in our study of the book of Acts, we have reference these words on a number of occasions because Paul outlines here really the the gospel preached by the apostles right Christ died for our sins and then he was buried and then he was raised according to the scriptures and then he appeared to his disciples and we see over and over as we've been preaching through acts we've just seen over and over the same outline Christ lived he died was buried was risen and uh, he showed himself and the apostles merely witnesses of that in the day of Pentecost, that's the outline. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, how the apostles saw it and bore witness to it. In Acts chapter 3, after the healing of the lame man, basically the same message. Jesus lived a righteous life, but you killed him on the cross. God raised him from the dead. He's alive and well, and he's the one that is the reason for the power to raise this, this lame man, to give him power to walk. We heard the same thing in Acts chapter 5 when standing before the Sanhedrin. The, the apostles said the same thing. That God raised up Jesus. Right? This one who, who you killed by hanging him on a tree. God raised him from the dead. Exalted him at the right hand of God. And Peter said that we're witnesses. Right? He appeared to us. We saw him alive. And that's where Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15 with a recap of the gospel. The good news of a, a righteous man who's crucified unjustly. For our sins, but was buried and rose from the dead, proved by the appearances that he made uh, to the apostles. And we're simply called to believe this, to receive forgiveness of sins. Believing and trusting that Jesus Christ died for our sins upon the cross. That's the gospel that Paul delivered, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, as of first importance, preeminent importance. If you miss everything else I say, catch that. That the gospel isn't some platitude, isn't some nice saying. It is reality that Jesus was a man. He lived a perfect life. He was the God-man, dying for our sins. 
and raising from the dead. And Paul then speaks about how he appeared to all these people, and then he speaks his own personal testimony here in verse 8 about how he appeared to him. This persecutor of Christians who was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. It was that moment that Jesus appeared to him. And he says this. He says, last of all, to one untimely born, verse 8, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul gives all the glory to God for God's grace to him, to to appearing to him while he was right on the way to persecute Christians. And, And God in his grace gave him the opportunity to be an apostle, to preach his word to many. Paul, who who persecuted the church, who had lived a life of rebellion against God, was given grace to preach and to plant churches and to write much of the New Testament. And Paul knew that it was all the grace of God working in his life. And though he labored, verse 10, by the grace of God I am that I am, his grace was not in vain. He said, on the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, yet it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. This is how we live our Christian life. Yet we live with fervor to the Lord, but yet ultimately we realize that it's not us who are empowering that. It's God who's working us in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's not I. It was the grace of God that was within me. And the grace of God is evident in the cross, evident in the resurrection this morning. And then in verse 12, Paul turns his attention to the resurrection because there were some in Corinth who said that uh, the resurrection didn't really take place. Like many say today, maybe it took place in the apostles' mind. They really didn't see someone. They really didn't touch someone, but they thought they saw him. Or maybe they had several other theories that they rejected. And Paul shows how if it is indeed true that Jesus didn't rise bodily from the dead, um, then his whole life, his whole ministry has all been wasted. Here's what he says. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Here he goes. Okay, so suppose there's no resurrection. Suppose Easter morning Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. He says, verse 13, But if there's no resurrection of the dead in general, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And our gathering here today is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are our of all people, most to be pitied. In other words, if there was no resurrection, then Christ wasn't raised. And if Christ wasn't raised, we are misrepresenting God, saying that He is raised. And all of you who said He is risen indeed are misrepresenting God, if indeed He wasn't raised from the dead. And our faith is futile because there's no faith in which we can put our faith in. <clears throat> because we put our faith in a resurrected Christ. And, it's, and if that's the case, we are still in our sins. 
The wrath of God has not been turned away from us, but we will still bear the full brunt of our sins if Christ has not been raised. And furthermore, those who have died in Christ, faithful believers, we have no hope that they will raise again, but they will have perished forever without any hope. And finally, people, the world, should feel sorry for us because we have believed this lie and we've wasted our lives believing this fanciful story about this Jesus being raised when in fact he didn't raise. But the good news comes in verse 20. We got that strong but. But in fact, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And here Paul asserts the reality that Christ has indeed raised. And just all those things, if Christ hadn't been raised, uh, are, are true the opposite. If he has been raised, since he has been raised, we are, are not misrepresenting God. We are representing God exactly accurately, that he has power to raise from the dead, that he did raise his son from the dead, that our faith is not in vain, that there is a, a profit for our faith, there is a, a goal and a hope of our faith after this life, that we know forgiveness of sins, that our sins are freed and we are, are walking rightly before the Lord. We have a hope for those believers who have died in Christ. That they will be with Christ. They are with Christ. To be absent with the body is present with the Lord. That they will live beyond the grave. And we ourselves also have hope that we too will live beyond the grave. And so, dear world, don't feel sorry for us. Don't feel sorry for us. Rather, you should believe our message and join us. That's what... Verse 20 is saying, it is true. Christ is raised from the dead and you can trust him with your life. Jim Elliot, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're not a fool for believing in the resurrection. Oh, there may be some hard things about believing in the resurrection, understanding how it all works. But you're not a fool believing and trusting God will sort it all out. That's the reality of those who believed and trusted in in the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And that's the promise that we trust upon this morning. It's our hope in the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ has brought a new day. While Jesus may have said on the cross, it is finished with the resurrection. He says, it is the beginning. In fact, I can almost picture him right coming out of the tomb. Can you picture him dead? there and he's in the tomb and then when the angel comes whatever however he woke up he's waking up he's moving the stone away and he says it's just beginning it is just beginning it is beginning right just everything is finished there he accomplished all this but now it's all beginning in fact that's where i i get this beginning from verse 20 you can see it he says in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and here we see in verse 20 that, that calling the resurrection of Christ the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. But the first, and the Jews living in those days would certainly have been understood what the first fruits were. It's a, it's a feast that they celebrated um, every year. Actually, it's called the day of Pentecost. When the early fruits come in, right? The, the barley harvest, right? The first fruit comes in. And, and they, being an agrarian society at that time, would bring the first of the crops. And they would bring it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Would come and bring it for the Levites. Would come and, and feed the, the, the people who worked in the temple. And would, would give it up. And with the trust and expectation that there would be more harvest to come. 
But the first was given to God. And that's exactly what the resurrection of Jesus was. It was the, the first fruit to those who raised from the dead with a trust and expectation that many more would come after him. That's where I get the title of my message, right? It is the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus was just the beginning of all that Jesus would do because he was the first fruits. And, and you know, it is so appropriate for us every year to celebrate the resurrection as we do Easter and springtime. It is no accident, right? The, the resurrection comes the same time Passover was, which is a, a springtime sort of harvest sort of celebration that they had every year. The spring is the the beginning of summer, it's the beginning of life. It's when the, the grass becomes green and the flowers bud and the, the leaves appear on the trees. In fact, uh, Ivan and I, we like to take a daily walk as much as we can. And, and uh, yesterday as we got out, it was the beginning of summer. It was the first day that I took a walk um, without long pants on. I put on shorts and a t-shirt and it was, it was wonderful. And uh, it's like our whole neighborhood just like came alive. All these People were around, like, whoa, where'd all the people come from? These, these hermits would have been living in their house, even just, just sort, of, sort of came out. And as we were walking, we saw people tending to the yards. We saw a guy driving a tractor and thatching his yard. People were out. Even our neighbor was on his back porch. I'm not sure if he was smoking his cigar or pipe, whatever he does. He likes to smoke back there. But it's, it's warm is what, what he likes. And uh, even, even here's, here's our walk. We even picked up a few neighbors of ours. We kind of walked along the way and stopped, began talking with our neighbors. We were talking long enough. I said, they, one of them, if you look, has a stroller. There's a stroller with a baby there. And uh, you can see where I am and Yvonne right there. And, and I said, you know, we're talking. You were looking to take a walk. Let's just walk together. And so we walked together around our neighborhood. It's what we like to do uh, in the summertime. It's what we like to do to get out. Just like today, it's going to be like 70 degrees outside. Today is a, is a day of life, a day of beginning of church. We can get up, we get outside without masks and talk with each other. It would be wonderful. It's like spring has sprung and, and right now, today is like the first day in that process. Actually, yesterday seemed to be. But today, as the spring has sprung, it's similar, right? It's the beginning. It's the beginning of, of growth. And that, in a similar way, Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, He's the one that started it all, and his first fruit risen from the dead can expect others to come. Now, it's interesting here. It's not that Jesus was the first one raised from the dead. In his ministry, he raised three people from the dead. He raised the widow's son in the village of Nain. He raised Jairus, his 12-year-old daughter. And he raised Lazarus from the dead, the brother of Mary and Martha, and they lived in, in Bethany. These people were all dead, and they all came to life. But you know what? They weren't resurrected quite like Jesus. Because when they're raised to life, they're raised to life only to die again. You, you might say that they were resuscitated. Whereas Jesus was resurrected. To be resuscitated means that you need to, to live more. You're just going to live longer. But you're still going to die. And the, the little boy that was raised, the widow's son in the village of Nain, grew up and died. And the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus died. And Lazarus died again. Could you imagine going through that twice? But not so with Jesus. When Jesus was resurrected, he never died. He never died again. And that's our hope, too, is we have trusted Christ. When we are resurrected, we will never die again. And the resurrection of life. Though he die, yet he shall live forever. 
Right? You believe in Christ, you believe in Jesus, and He'll give you eternal life. In fact, I think that's the idea of first fruits in verse 20, is that many are going to follow Jesus in the same way that Jesus did. Particularly here, even in verse 20, He refers to those who have died. He says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for dying. Um, oftentimes in the Bible, it's used that way. You, you fall asleep. That means that you, you die. And uh, particularly here, we're talking about those who have died. Will rise like Jesus. Will be given new bodies like Jesus. Bodies that will, will never die. And so you think about, okay, so how can this be? I mean, Paul addressed this in verse 35. So just kind of look over there. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That's like a great question. It's the kind of question that I that I have. I got all sorts of questions about how it's going to happen, especially right for those who died trusting in Jesus. Right. Especially those who died centuries ago. What about all the Puritans who died? What, what about them who are who are in the tomb? I, I've been to John Bunyan's tomb in Bunhill Fields in London. What, what about him? What about John Owen or Daniel Defoe, who are also buried there? Or Susanna Wesley, who are also buried in that, that place. They've been there for hundreds of years. What about them? Uh, when Jesus died, according to Psalm 16, his body never experienced decay. He was only in the tomb for a few days. And I can understand how a body like that, right, still intact, was risen from the dead. But my question, as Paul proposes in verse 35, is, is more like, what, what about people who have died a long time ago? Somebody will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? And I think it's a good question. And Paul rebukes me because he says it's a foolish question. Look at verse 36. You foolish person. It's like, it's a dumb question, right? Normally there's not a dumb question. This was a dumb question. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel Perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind its seed in its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ in their glory. So it is, Paul writes, with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. All that to say this. Our spiritual bodies will be different than our physical bodies. Now, in some ways, our, our spiritual bodies will be as different as an acorn is to an oak tree. Right? Because our physical bodies are like a kernel that we sow in the ground. Verse 37. It's like a, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain that needs to die right before it, it blossoms and becomes life. Now, that's not to say there's no resemblance. There's not a lot of resemblance between an acorn and, a, and an oak tree. There, there is resemblance. And, and Paul compares the, 
the, the difference in our physical bodies and our, our spiritual bodies. And he compares it. It's a little bit like the, the sun and the moon, he says. Right? Verse 41, there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. And you think about the sun and the moon, there's a lot that's the same. They both give off light. One reflects and one emits light. You see them in the sky about the same size. They're, they're both round, but we recognize their different glory. And so likewise, with the, the spiritual body, there will be a, a different glory. And, and there's lots of mystery here. I can't understand it. I have way more questions than I have answers. I'm, I, I've, I have questions about decay. I've alluded to that. Those have been in the grave for hundreds of years. I, I have questions about cremated bodies. What about them? I have questions about Moses and Elijah. I mean, have you ever thought about that? They appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had bodies. and They're talking to Jesus. Like, how did Peter and James and John know that this was Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus? There weren't old photographs. There weren't old videos. Maybe it was the conversation that they were having. And Jesus called them Elijah, called them Moses. I'm not sure, but they had spiritual bodies. But were these just temporary? Right? Were they only given for just a little bit? Only to have later? As spiritual bodies, what? people have in heaven now can they come and meet with us i've got all these types of questions and to all this i think paul says you foolish person verse 36 i'm like okay all i can do is is tell you what what paul gives us in first corinthians 15 his wisdom is far better than mine he said this our physical bodies are perishable they are shameful they are weak and natural Our resurrected bodies are imperishable and glorious and powerful and supernatural. I just pulled out his adjectives there in verse 45 and and following. And all that will happen because Jesus rose from the dead, because he was the first, because he was the beginning. So likewise, we will follow in in his time. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was really the, the spring day of God's redemption plan. And then that's what Paul gives us in verse 21 through 24, really. He, he tells us the big picture of this world and, and what it's about. Because he's got Christ raising from the dead. Here it is. Verse, chapter 15, verse 21. We're just going to go through it super quick. As by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the scope of human history. Right? Beginning from the garden. With Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. And because of Adam's sin, it caused all of us to experience death. In fact, the backdrop of the resurrection was only possible because the sin of Adam brought death into the world. The backdrop of the resurrection is death. What Adam brought. And without his sin, without his death, there's no reason for resurrection because we are alive anyway. Adam brought death, but it says here that Jesus brings life he is the the second adam if you will he's called the the last adam in verse 45 he he compares right and here's the the one brought death but the second adam jesus brings to us life and this really is the the whole scope of human history this talks about the garden and then ultimately giving us life in eternity and that's where he's going with things in verse 23 and 24 he says but to each in his own order Christ the firstfruits, there is Christ raised from the dead, that's 2,000 years ago. And then he's talking about, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This speaks about when Jesus comes upon the earth, 
He's going to bring those who are alive to be with him. That, that, that still hasn't happened. And so we're, we've spanned at least 2,000 years in verse 23. Christ the first fruits, then is coming those who belong to Christ. We've got a long time between there. And then he jumps even to the end when that is in verse 24. Then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. There's your quick lesson in eschatology. Right? The, the resurrection of Christ was first. He's now in the heavens, building the church, praying for us. But he'll return someday. And when he does, right, he's going to gather those who are alive and believing and trusting in Jesus. And then all those who have died trusting in Jesus who raised from the dead will be at the great resurrection. And then sometime later, then after that, then there's going to be the end when everything is given to God the Father. And according to verse 28, he becomes all in all. You know, I love that, that verse there in verse 28. All things are subjected to Jesus, the Son himself subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. He's going to take the kingdom. He's basically going to give it to his Father. He's going to say, here it is, that you may be all in all. Right, but we aren't there yet. We're still here upon the earth. Jesus hasn't come. We're just awaiting his return. And, uh, but it all began on Easter morning when Jesus rose from the dead. On the cross, Jesus said, it's finished. But having risen from the dead, he said, it is beginning. And so that's really what today is as we think about the, the change in season, the change in hope, hope a change in church, hope a change in COVID, hope all this stuff is just a new life that we can have as we realize that just it's beginning. So let's, let's pray together. We'll close our time today. Oh, Father, we, we do thank you for the the resurrection of Jesus. I pray that even this morning, just simply going through First Corinthians 15, that we might realize, oh God, that, that the resurrection is real and it really was a pivotal point in, in human history. Just as Adam's sin was a pivotal point, so also the resurrection of Christ is the time in which He really began His work of building the church and building in us. I pray that we would we'd be believing in Him and trusting in Him God, thank you that he is faithful, will come back, return someday. God, that the dead in Christ will rise up first and will be with you. And so that is our hope, O oh Lord, is that though we may die in this body, God, yet we will live in you. And in that, O oh Lord, we do rejoice. Thank you, praise you, in Christ's name, amen.